And we are live, everybody. Welcome to the Cafe Hangout. It is John Pollock and Wei Tang. Thank you to all of you that have tuned in live for the Cafe Hangout. We have an action-packed show coming your way. Coming up during the course of the show, we're going to be chatting with wrestling historian, author, Greg Oliver from Slam Wrestling. He's going to be chatting with us about his new book, The Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, The Storytellers. So looking forward to that. Plus, as always, we're going to be diving into your phone calls Immediately. So if you want to call in, uh, do give us a call. The number to dial 732-800-4423. Or you can Skype in by searching for Post Wrestling. We can discuss any of the shows from Wednesday night, AEW Dynamite, NXT. We will have the ratings over the next hour or so. And whatever else is going on in the world of professional wrestling that you would like to discuss. Coming up this weekend, we've got the highlight of the month. Tito Ortiz versus... Alberto El Patron. Oh, is that this weekend? The physical UFC championship and WWE titles on the line. Way after all this time, a unification match between former champions that are going to do this on pay per view. That's a first. Yeah. Physical maybe, control. Maybe, of the maybe title. only ever. Uh, yes, this will be happening, and I'm sure people will follow this along on Twitter because I don't know who is buying this pay per view. But if you are, please call in. I imagine maybe Brandon will will find this show yeah. on Saturday. Uh, That's all going down. So if you want to give us a call, uh, be our guest and join us on the Cafe Hangout. Let us start off with NXT, Way. What did you think of Wednesday's show? Um, Well, before that, uh, 3.30, we got Greg. Yes. Right? Yes. NXT. I really enjoyed the show. I liked it more than AEW this week. I thought it was a very well-produced show that moved a lot of things um, along very well with, I think, a clear focus in almost every direction. I thought this was a very strong episode of NXT. They've built up. uh, Obviously, both shows are peaking for December 18th in two weeks. We've got Chris Jericho and Jungle Boy announced for two weeks from now on Dynamite. Uh, But the NXT show is going to feature Adam Cole defending the NXT title against the winner of next week's three-way, which will have Keith Lee, Tommaso Ciampa, and Finn Balor. And then Rhea Ripley challenging Shayna Baszler as well on that December 18th show. So those should be two big shows from the company, both companies. But... Uh, NXT really building that as almost a mini pay-per-view with two title matches. Stack card. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. I think they did a good job of uh, setting up the Rhea Ripley. Like, overall, I felt like they did a really good job of following up on everybody's momentum coming out of Survivor Series weekend. In particular, focus still being very much on Keith Lee and Rhea Ripley and their ongoing feuds. What do you see being the title match for December 18th? Uh, For uh, Adam Cole. And you mean challenger. coming off of next week's three-way. Right. Uh, I thought the, so. Okay. I Who wins the three-way next week? Who makes the most uh, attractive matchup for Adam Cole in two weeks? Uh, I'm going to say Keith Lee. I think he's just got the most momentum right now. I think that is probably the best option to go with right now. I think they're purposely keeping Tommaso Ciampa on the back burner, and that can be your, your big title match for Adam Cole. But Keith Lee seems to be the... Uh, the hot hand to play right now. I think he has a ton of buzz coming off of the last month, off the Survivor Series, and going into that match. I think you can do a lot of things and probably segue Keith Lee off into a program where Adam Cole ultimately retains the title December 18th. But um, yeah, plenty of uh, subjects, I think, coming out of Wednesday's show. I I thought it was a a clear, better show from NXT on Wednesday night. I thought so, too. All right. Do we have some phone calls? calls? Yes, we do. Caller, you're in the cafe. What's going on? 
Hey, John Away. This is Tyler from Orlando. Hi, Tyler. Hey, Tyler. Hey, I saw you guys in uh, New Orleans. That was when I first met you guys. I'm yes. Hoping... What's going on? I see you guys in, uh, hoping that, yeah, it was at that, uh, it was at that cool little brewery and bar you guys found. I really liked that place. Uh, they had to, like, look at my ID for, uh, for about five minutes before serving me a beer because huh. I had just turned, I had just turned 21 that year. So <laughs> I remember that was a very, it was a very fun year. Hope to see you guys in Tampa again. This, uh, coming down my way. Cool. Uh, I had an, I had an NWA question. Okay. So, uh, obviously the episode two, uh, two nights ago, uh, saw Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, uh, winning it. Uh, how do you feel about two 60 year old men beating two wrestlers in their prime for the titles? Um, I, I didn't really think too much about it. I think they were just going for the big reaction that they were going to get by doing the title switch. I, I think you could have made the argument that it would have been a better story if they had just done this on the pay-per-view, but I would imagine the rock and roll express are losing the titles back at, at the pay-per-view. I, I don't look at it as some kind of, Oh my God, what a, what a decision to do this. I think just they do, they wanted a reason to promote the rematch on, on a pay-per-view uh, and possibly, you know, going off of TV with something strong and substantial, like a title change. I don't mind it at all. I, I think if this were to take place in something like AEW, where I would say there's a lot more, uh, uh, I don't know, importance placed on, on their young tag team division, I would have a bigger issue. Like, I didn't like when Ricky Morton did uh, the Canadian Destroyer to LAX. I thought that was pretty out of place. But in NWA, they just they just fit so well. There's They've got so much going for them with the nostalgia and just the great storytelling that, that you can do. So I love it for NWA. I wouldn't agree with another promotion. Okay, yeah, I was just curious your guys' opinion. I just, uh, I really like the wild cards. But yeah, they probably are winning the titles back at the pay-per-view. I haven't decided if I'm going to by the pay-per-view yet or not but uh, yeah that's all i got for you guys thank you guys Take care. hey thanks, thanks a lot tyler. tyler we appreciate the call yeah it's um it's a very crowded weekend next week when it comes to uh both mma and pro wrestling that the nwa finds itself in the middle of uh you've got final battle and that warrior one card on friday saturday nwa is going against the ufc pay-per-view but i think nwa is so niche that they've got their audience and the question will be how many of those people in their audience are going to be willing to spend money on this is is the tv something that directs you directs you to a pay-per-view where uh, this is largely going to be a show that is sold on wrestling and that's not been the calling card of this show so what kind of response are they going to get from people for a two and a half hour version of nwa power the nice thing is that it, it is twenty dollars and for a show that you've been getting for free for a long time and i i feel like they they might have a pretty good hardcore contingent that are willing to part with 20 bucks just just to support something like this or even just doing it out of curiosity so. i think you have to buy it by saturday and then it goes up and that's 25 right okay yeah. um but th- that yeah that's what you're looking at and yeah it, it's going to be interesting to see if they can kind of make a dent and if this style of television does lead people to spending money on it in enough numbers that makes it worthwhile for them back to the phone lines caller you're on the air what's up hey guys this is quinn i'm calling from mattoon illinois which is about of champagne and that's where i went and saw AEW dynamite last night so i just want to chat about that real quick oh for sure love to hear the live report yeah it was pretty it was I'm going to feel or sound like I was uh, drinking the Kool-Aid because I had a blast last night. I took my two younger brothers, and they're not real into wrestling like me, and they came away from the show just blown away. Like, I was pretty impressed myself, but the whole crowd there, they were just eating it up. 
like uh, what you guys talked about, Pentagon and Phoenix, uh, you know, on your review, and they are definitely faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know that. What What did your brothers think about the, the show? And what kind of uh, urged them to go check this out? I mean, were they... Did they need some talking into, or were they just generally interested in, to go see pro wrestling with an open mind? Well, basically, they're my default if I'm going to a wrestling show and no one else can go with me. Uh, but they both live in Champaign. So, you know, we got, we're in the fourth row, $60 a ticket. That's a pretty good value. So that got him in the door, and the product, they knew. I mean, I had to tell, I had to talk them through most of the matches, which. Which I love doing, talking about the young bucks, and they knew, you know, Dustin Rhodes. They knew Cody, um, so that was neat. But just uh, me, basically, getting in there, the price, the convenience of being right there in their hometown. I, I think it's one of the advantages AEW has. We saw it a couple of weeks ago with the. Uh the show in Charleston, West Virginia, that they can take TV to medium or even small markets that WWE is not going to take Raw or SmackDown to. As I'd imagine, like when was the last time WWE has done TV in Champaign, Illinois? I mean, so I imagine you go to a place like that, it's going to be a big deal that AEW is bringing their flagship show to that size of a market. Sure. I mean, everybody wanted to be on TV. I'm sure that helped a little bit, but I've seen a whole bunch of WWE uh, live shows there, but never anything with TV. Right. So that that was cool. But this setup there probably was, it looks smaller than uh, most of the other setups I've seen. Mm-hmm. But um, it was a good time. I'm, I'm glad those guys went. I'll, I'll remember it. I know that. What, what was some of the live reaction, uh, I would say, to... Um Maybe some of the more um, like the Brandy Awesome Kong segment. You know how how did how did that go over, get over in front of a large crowd? Yeah, that you got the whole uh, what is that chant? You know after that or what's going on? <laughs> a lot of people did not care for that, and uh, it was too bad because that match beforehand everybody loved. Really, I, I I sat back and watched it on TV this morning, and the reactions. It was way louder in person, it felt like. Like, I don't know. I just, I was a little disappointed because people were going nuts the whole time. It was a great crowd. And I felt bad because I don't think it came across on TV very well. Right. Well, and we heard of some audio issues uh, taking place on the TNT feed as well. So, but, but um, yeah, cool. Thank you very much for the live thoughts. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, uh, keep up the good work. Thank Take you care. so much. We appreciate it. Yeah. Interesting to hear that, you know, it is fairly consistent that you go to these shows that the crowd is a big positive and it does still have that kind of party atmosphere for a lot of people going to these shows Mm -hmm. that uh, whether they are lapsed fans or whether they've been following AEW and that's kind of curious to see um, how they're gaining fans and and winning people over that are maybe sampling this like this guy's brothers for instance back to the phone lines caller here in the cafe what's up hello Oh, good. I didn't hear the beat this time. Um, hey, guys, Tim from Ohio again. Hello, Hi, Tim. Tim. I, I hope you feel special because I am literally getting ready to run out the door. I'm going to a musical tonight, but I'm hoping to beat the CSU box office for AIW, AEW tickets before they close at 6. Okay, what musical are you going to see? Mean Girls. Oh, the uh, the one that Tina Fey's involved in, right? 
Yes. Okay. I've heard about this. That's uh, uh, I'm not I'm not uh, enough of a fan that I would ever want to go see a musical of Mean Girls, but uh, I hope you have a great time. Honestly, um, a couple, my wife was obs- ex wife was obsessed with Hamilton. Um, in fact, I found out shortly before we were leaving the New York City to see Hamilton that they were coming to Cleveland. Well, it was the hottest show in the universe. So the only way to get tickets guaranteed was to buy the season ticket package oh, for seven shows. They got you. But it's been interesting. But um, but speaking of giving things a chances, that's a great segue, John, naturally. Um, I personally am going through a thing. Tomorrow night there's a show, and an indie show in Cleveland where a year and a half ago, the promoter just shit the bed. Were late. There were technical issues. Um, the owner was just arrogant as all get out. And they have a, they're finally running another show supposedly tomorrow. And they use a lot of, they're flying in a bunch of talent from Puerto Rico. So, I mean, it's something different. And it looks interesting, but I have the past history of. The promoter, and I'm wondering, because you guys go to everything, you guys have gone to so many shows, I can only imagine how high the bar is for you guys to actually get you out of your house and go to a local indie show. I'm just kind of curious, like, how forgiving are you guys of show pause or mistakes by promoters? And what are the things that you look for to give another promoter a chance? And not just for your own enjoyment, but in your business too, covering wrestling. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll answer your question off air. Sure. Um, I mean, for independent shows, for me, it's uh, it's largely if I really want to see something that usually it's very difficult to get out to a show because they're just there's um, you know, our friend Kingdom James is doing a show Friday night at the Transact Club. Um, it's head to head with SmackDown. There's there's no way I'm getting out to do that. So, uh. Watching as much wrestling as we have to right now, it's really got to be uh, something above and beyond that I'm going to use a, a rare night off to go watch more wrestling. Uh, in terms of, you know, um, you're, you're going to run into stuff where guys don't show up or you're going to have cards scrambling. And I think people give, you know, reasonable leeway knowing that it's uh, sometimes that you are going to get sh- uh, stuff shuffled. Uh, MLW tonight, they were supposed to have Shinjiro Otani, had to switch things up at the last minute. Loki is now there in its place. Stuff like that is going to happen, and I think the audience understands it. And I think we have, not to say everybody, but I think there's been a larger movement getting away from uh, you know, blatantly false advertising, things like that, because you're, you're not going to be able to come back if you build up a bad reputation because word spreads very quick in this day and age. So you have to be kind of playing by those rules with your audience and not trying to pull one over on them. I'm often very, very understanding and very forgiving. I I would say of an indie promoter, if you know, they're very honest and upfront about what the issues are. Um, I recognize they're not probably not dealing with the same level of budget as, you know, many of the other, thankfully, like in Toronto, I feel like these, these issues aren't, aren't, I don't hear about them that often. So maybe we just have a really good scene out here, but I, I, I can be very forgiving, but I think it takes great communication with your fan base. Back to the phone lines. Bruce Lord, you're on. What's going on? Hello, Bruce. Can you hear us? 
hmm, might be having an issue, please call us back, Bruce. All right. Uh, we will keep the phone lines open uh, momentarily. We're going to be joined by uh, Greg Oliver. We're going to be chatting about his new book as well as the award he's going to be receiving at Cauliflower Alley Club uh, next next year in the spring when they do their annual convention in Las Vegas. Uh, and then as well, the ratings will be coming out later on this afternoon. I think a very interesting set of numbers to come out and what kind of story uh, that paints from Wednesday night coming off of last week's uh, dip for both shows. Let's try Bruce Lord one more time. Bruce, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you got me this time? Oh, we got you. Got you loud and clear. What's going on? Okay. Um, I was mostly hoping to talk about AEW, uh, but just to bounce off of what you were talking about with the previous caller, our big uh, local indie here in Vancouver was promising a big Bandito match uh, last year at their big year-end show that never came true, and now they are promising that again. Uh, so I'm kind of right on the fence as to whether or not I'm going to trust them with that. But my point about AEW was just in response to some of the criticisms that you guys had and some of the um, some of the folks in the feedback had about Dynamite last night with regards to uh, folks like Trent and uh, Sheeta losing, you know, when they're kind of on a hot streak or they're the number one contender or whatever it is. I'm wondering if I could just maybe play devil's advocate about that. Um, yes, please. I think on the I think on the one hand, you know, we have all of this talk about this being a sports-based presentation and wins and losses mattering. And I'm wondering if, to some extent, these sorts of losses are just a way of actually making sure that we don't get that sort of win-loss record completely out of whack and completely out of balance. So that when it does come time for somebody else to be heated up in the short term to become a contender, they at least have enough wins in their pocket uh, to make that justifiable. And I think in a case where you have them running quarterly pay-per-views rather than monthly ones, where you have you know a month and a half or something like that to get somebody on a really good win streak that leads towards uh, a blow-off match or a title match at a pay-per-view, you can sort of afford to have them eat some losses in that sort of environment that you might not be able to in the WWE schedule, right? I mean, we have, you know, we were accustomed to people who are number one contenders losing matches in something like the G1 or even in real sports. You know, a, a really great team is going to lose to a mediocre or crap team one game out of three in baseball or something like that. So, I mean, it's still kind of early going, but I'm willing to give them a little bit of rope in terms of how they are using these losses as ways of sort of fleshing out the records and standings uh, of the larger roster, I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's so early at the moment that you're just trying to be able to take some of these names and allow them to break out. So I think what you want to avoid is just outright parody, because I, I don't think that's what they need at this point for if you are a Hikaru Shida, where it's going to be 50-50. I mean, if we look to real sports, I think if you had, you know, week five, your Monday night game is two undefeated teams, there's going to be a heightened interest in that. So I, I understand that need to, you know, you build up to towards something where the loss ultimately means something. So that to me is the, the, the payoff to someone going on that streak is that when they finally lose cashing your chips, when mm-hmm. it's going to be most advantageous. And hopefully at the end of it, you do have viable contenders. And I think they are struggling to just kind of isolate those contenders where you have the match. Like there is no challenger right now that everyone is looking at for Riho as the match to do at the moment. So I think we're just looking for who is that person going to be getting behind that person and building them, them up to a degree where it's the record can be that momentum that allows people to demand and want that match. I also think it's really important to focus on, you know, losers after the fact just to tell their story because if your intent is to give some value to somebody like Trent or Sheeta with the wins that they let, let up, that led up to this moment when they lost, 
I, I think it's just as important to tell what they're going through when they're losing just to make sure that the emphasis is still on them. Uh, but thank you so much, Bruce. We got to go to our uh, guest right at this moment. So let me just uh, take a second and get him on the line. Um, as well, um, uh, all, all great points that uh, Bruce brought up. And yeah, that was something that people were looking at. Very interesting to look at a, a lot of the feedback for AEW looking at the show. And I think kind of deconstructing some of the the tactics they're using right now, the the volume of people that they're trying to get over at this point. And I, I think it's all very interesting stuff at this point. So uh, we'll get into that uh, further coming up. But at this time, it, we are going to be welcoming our guest. He is the co-author of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, The Storytellers, that is out right now alongside uh, co-author Steven Johnson. He is Greg Oliver, award recipient, the man behind Slam Wrestling, and joining us today on the Cafe Hangout. Greg, how are you doing today? It's nice to hang out with you boys. It's uh, it's about time that we, we got you on the show. And uh, first of all, I want to congratulate you on uh, the recent release of The Storytellers. I got to pick up a copy of this over the summer, finished reading it. Um, what, what has been the early feedback to uh, this latest volume in the, uh, the Hall of Fame series? I think the feedback's been good. Um, we don't get as much as you used to, just in general. I mean, you, you've been around the internet a long time. Feedback's changed, right? You mm-hmm. don't always see it. It can be on social media it can be here it can be there you don't always get to see it and that's a bit frustrating for an author uh, but i make a point whenever i you know really like something uh online i i take a moment and uh and try to find the writer uh sort of not just online if i like a book right. or whatever so that's the kind of that's my my christmas message to everybody be nice to your authors when you guys sat down and were kind of a, when the idea of the storytellers came about, I know you guys uh, talked about it a little bit in the book that, I mean, you have like so many interviews out there, Greg, when was like the impetus to go ahead with this, with this idea of the storytellers? Was it kind of a culmination of so much material that didn't make it into other books? And what was the genesis behind this one? Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, Steve Johnson and I have both been doing this a long time. And we just kept interviewing and interviewing people, and we thought, oh, there'd be a great book here because of guys. Like, an example would be Lanny Poffo. Mm-hmm. It's not a book in and of himself, but, man, the guy tells good stories. And so you knew you had lots of gems from all these other guys that weren't necessarily the big stars. And that was sort of the genesis of how it began. Uh, but the book grew from there into something completely different. And, and half the time it's based on who's accessible. And whether you were going to get somebody, I mean, we wanted to do Wendy Richter in the one section about how, you know, it all changed with the the TV wrestling, but you know, we couldn't get her. And so we went a different direction and, and talked to Paul Vachon about, uh, you know, being in the wedding on, on TNT and how that was very different than what he grew up with. So that, that, that's sort of like, everything's got to be fluid. Um, and Steve Johnson definitely drove a lot of this book. And I was, uh, along for the ride in many ways, but uh, it is a team effort in the end. You need someone to pat you on the back. Do you still have those, those white whales that are out there that you have not had a chance to speak with or people that maybe you would like to sit down with again to go more in depth than you have? Are there any of those names that are, are still kind of uh, top of mind for you? Oh God. Well, um, you know, they, I've, I've met the undertaker, but never really done an interview, but he's got to have some fascinating stories. Um, but beyond that, I mean, just about every old timer or most recent guys, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten a chance to at least talk to, uh, it might've been in a scrum setting. It might've been, you know, a short little, uh, press conference thing or, or a phoner, but it's 
you know, it, the wrestling business changed too. I mean, I used to love really talking to those old guys, but those mm-hmm. old guys aren't around from the fifties anymore. They're, they're all gone. It, it was one of the points that you actually made to me years and years ago about making the effort to speak to all of these people, because you know, when, when a legendary figure dies, a lot of the time that history goes with them. And I mean, you've, Greg, been one of the people at the forefront of preserving that history. And I think these books are so essential to telling, like, I I cannot tell you how much I learned, especially in the first half of this book about the turn of the century figures, names that not everyone would be familiar with that. I mean, it's, it would not exist if it wasn't for this book. Thanks, John. I I mean, part of it is there, there needs to be that, that documentation and that all sort of ties into um, the college rally club. And it's, it's, you know, attempts to keep everybody informed, and then the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame itself in Wichita Falls, Texas, and then there's the Trago Says Hall of Fame in Waterloo, Iowa. They're all, you know, part of the team that's mm-hmm. trying to keep this legacy alive. And, and as journalists, we need to do our part uh, and and capture these stories before they're gone. Um, some of the figures we can bring up here, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about... Uh, Charles E. Parson Davies, and uh, I mean, you credit him in, in this book as kind of being the first one to kind of coin uh, athletic entertainment, uh, but much, much earlier than Vince McMahon in 1989. Well, that, that's the surprise. Steve Johnson did that one, so he's sort of the expert on on him. But the idea is that we didn't know some of these things going in. Like, we were fascinated by this guy. He looks really interesting. We should look into it. Yeah. And then you come out of it going, well... I didn't realize wrestling was quite the work that it was back then. The, the perfect example is everybody always talks about how tough Carl Gotch is. Well, Carl Gotch was working just as everybody else was. You know, and if you don't believe that, then you're you're not getting the way the wrestling business works. Uh, and has worked forever. Uh, and, and we go back to Terrible Turk headlining the one of the original Madison Square Gardens back in, you know, the 1890s. So all these guys... Um, build on each other. And that leads us up to, you know, Kenny Omega's on the cover, and Kenny shares his thoughts on, on how storytelling works today, which is equally fascinating to me as some of these guys from the past that we're trying to um, revive and keep alive. I'm always fascinated by a lot of the power brokers, especially from that era. As you're going through this, and it doesn't just have to be promoters, but are there certain figures you come across in this book and instantly you believe, wow, we could do an entire book on this one person or this little snapshot of history. Well, Jack Pfeffer is the one that jumps to mind. Uh, I mean, simply because of the Pfeffer collection, which is at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, But the fact is that it's all one-sided there. It's all his letters that he received from other people. So we don't get a lot of Jack himself. And that was part of the problem when Steve was putting together that, that piece itself on Pfeffer. We had lots of information about him. But how much of it was true and how much was value? He's a guy that knew how to work uh, whoever he was talking to, whether it was a reporter, whether it was another you know, wrestler and promoter. He's just a fascinating figure. out. Jim Barnett's like that, too. There's a great piece on Jim Barnett in the book. Uh, and he's a guy that I wish I could go back to, going back to your earlier question, John. Uh, I had a chance to actually interview Jim Barnett. Not too many people can say that. Uh, And, of course, I just wish I could go back and ask him a thousand other questions about so much of the business that he was involved in. I was, I'm going to really date myself here. I think I was 16 years old and went to an Apocalypse Wrestling Federation show at Cactus Pete's, a legendary venue in uh, the outskirts of (laughs) Toronto. And later that week, the promotion put up pictures 
And Jim Barnett was at this show watching it with like 50 people. And I know the name Jim Barnett, but man, to have been like, here he was, I was seated from him probably 20 feet away for this entire show. I mean, just what, what a fascinating and influential figure that you just wish um, could have had that book that came out or had that, that really long form tell all about, you know, just all of his involvement, because what, what an interesting figure. Absolutely. And that it was Ron Hutchison's AWF show. And he's yeah. the one that actually hooked me up with him. Uh, and like I said, I wish I could go back to John or to Jim Barnett and, and ask a lot more questions. But, you know, reality is you, you got one shot and I did my best with it. And I got some fascinating stuff. Um, as a Canadian, uh, what he told, well, what he told me was he used so many Canadians down in Australia because the tax rules were different for them than bringing in American wrestlers. It's something that never occurred to me before, but it makes a lot of sense, you know, part of the Commonwealth. So those kind of things are little tidbits that help us piece together the history of wrestling. When you and Steven are going through, like, so much of this historical uh, coverage uh, of wrestling, do you guys have, a, a, like, a pretty good, like, smell test at this point of, like, what kind of makes it for you guys? And cause certainly when it comes to professional wrestling of any era, there is certainly that skepticism of, of what here is factual and what is kind of just being put on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of BS. Um, but, you know, wrestling is a, a business where they have to promote themselves. So it's in their best interest to, you know, put one over on whoever they're talking to. So you get a feel pretty quickly whether you find an old newspaper article, uh, which is one thing. But if you find a family member, uh, somebody who's always wanted to know more about their, their grandpa or their 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 uncle, um, and Steve's awesome at digging those guys up. And I, I, I mean, I've gotten much better at it, too. Uh, then you get something you can trust in a different way they may not know and they'll be honest with you that they don't know all the details but the facts you are getting are not wrestling facts they're personal facts and those are a little more trustworthy i think than uh what the record may have been in that newspaper article talking about this guy coming to you know richmond virginia the most trustworthy people in the pro wrestling industry are the ones who have no connection to the pro wrestling industry Yeah, because they're not trying to work yet. Exactly. Um, there's also like a really great uh, look at just pro wrestling media in general and kind of the coverage. And where do you think think that things just in your own career, Greg, uh, have evolved over the, the last number of decades and where we are now when it comes to uh, covering this industry that, yes, more open than ever, but you, you still have you know, a, a certain level of a guarded nature, depending on who you're speaking with and always trying to be able to kind of see what are, what are the undertones here of whatever message is being put out there. The turning point really was the internet and we didn't know it at the time, but it, it was a great equalizer. Um, but then you had the time where WWE decided, oh, well, internet, you know, we're not going to deal with any other internet sites. And they soon realized that was ludicrous. And so that leads us up to today, where it's a fairly open business. Uh, you get the press conferences that, that they hold, that they invite regular media to, and the wrestling media. It certainly was not always the case. Uh, they were often really protective and didn't want wrestling media there because they were asking too many pointed questions. Uh, so I think that's the openness has really helped the journalism part. What doesn't exist anymore is the documentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in another, you know, 30 years, where are you going to dig up stuff on these guys that hasn't been written? There's for one, there's, you know, 18,000 pro wrestlers, it seems. 
and how many of them are actually going to be worth writing about in, in 20 years? Probably not a lot. What do we have from Kenny Omega? We have his tweets. You know, does he have much else beyond that? He has the ever, you know, written letters back and forth to promoters that we'll, we'll be able to access and, and, and reference? No, I don't think so. That's not the way the world works today. And it, I think it's a poorer place because of it. Yeah, I, I think that really what we're seeing now is the documentation is pretty much in podcast form. It is, and that's blowing your own horn, sure, John, but I, I think you're right. But it's also, you worry about who's archiving that. Like, is that podcast going to be up on that server in another 20 years? Well, that, that's a great point, because, you know, we see, you know, history is lost at the the turnover of a website and that's that's going to be a reality for this digital age is that so much history can be can be lost instantaneously like to me and to toot your horn now greg i mean slam wrestling that is a that is a historical document of of professional wrestling and one of the very first sites that i ever came upon when i first got the internet yeah it's it's interesting we started in late 96 and it's crazy to think about but the fact is that even we've lost stuff Right, like we're we're trying to transition to new servers through, and we've been through so many different ownership. Uh, we're now part of Post Media, so there's all these different influences over the years. What they want to be, what they want us to be, and it's been frustrating from a producer's perspective, which is what I am as well as a journalist, is that you're never sure what's going to be around that next day because you know it, it's a little bit up in the air. It's it's not uh, my control, but part of the reason Slam Wrestling has succeeded and been around for so long is because of the so-called deeper pockets you have with a corporation hosting you as opposed to somebody trying to go off and do it yourself. Did you have the sense when you and John Powell like got into slam wrestling at the time you did, like, did you sense that this was going to be uh, a great tool for professional wrestling on the internet, that it could really thrive in this medium or was it uh, just tell me a little bit about kind of the origin of it because you were in it very early. Yeah, it, it, well, I mean, the, the bonus was the Sun Media chain had the Bret Hart column in the Calgary Sun, and there were there were columns in the Ottawa and Toronto Sun. So we had content. And because I'd worked at the Toronto Sun for 10 years, I also knew the fact was the greatest selling Sunday Sun of all time was the one after WrestleMania six in Toronto. Uh, that's changed since then. But I mean, at that point, it was. So why wouldn't they greenlight a pro wrestling site when you had some content already? Uh, what we didn't really anticipate was how it would grow from there it was a big help at the time wwf had a office right in toronto so they were regularly bringing in talent uh people for us to talk to uh and you know people for us to fight with and carl demarco and his, his stubborn ways of again how the internet was not something they really understood and that took time for them to get to the point where okay we're going to deal with these people like we would any other journalist uh, so that that was sort of it. John and I didn't expect it to be go- doing it this long, that's for sure. And I'm not even employee, nor is John anymore, but we still run the site. And we've got guys who've been writing for us for 20 years. It, it's crazy. Um, as, as such a big topic uh, among our listeners and readers is AEW. Now that we're 10 weeks in at this point, um, have you gotten a chance to to follow the product and any kind of like historical comparisons to what AEW is doing here? I mean, financed by the Khan family and, you know, getting a very strong television uh, property and in, in TNT behind them at this point. Um, any kind of early grade and impressions of where AEW stands? 
Well, I'm trying to figure out where it all fits in, in history, because when you look at the great moments in wrestling history, it was, you know, you've got Gorgeous George and in, in the U.S. and in Canada, it was River Billy Watson with TV expansion. Then you had the WF expanding with cable TV. And then you had the next generation of cable TV, which was the Monday Night Wars. And now I'm not sure where this fits in. It's a desperate cry for content. I don't mean that, you know, AEW is a desperate cry, but that every station wants something that has to be destination programming that people are tuning in for. Yes. So I think that's really what AEW's advantage was, getting a good deal with Turner and, and being on that show. Whether they can keep it going or not, I'm not sure. I've, I have watched some of them. I've enjoyed them. I, it's so nice to see some fresh faces. Uh, and, and from a Canadian perspective, there's so many people we all know uh, and have watched for years as well, uh, getting a chance, which is great. But, you know, in the end, it comes down to ratings. And we can't compare yesterday to today because, you know, the Monday night ratings will never exist again. No TV station, no TV show will ever get a rating like MASH did, a 50% audience. That will never, ever exist again. Uh, so we just sort of got to roll with it and enjoy it while it's here and uh, see what happens uh, the next day. But I, I think it's healthy for everybody to have the competition. Uh, before we get on out of here, I did, did want to make mention of the fact that uh, next spring at the Cauliflower Alley Club convention, uh, their annual uh, convention in Las Vegas, you are going to be the recipient of the James C. Melby Historian Award. Uh, James Melby, a very pivotal figure. And I just want you to share uh, some of your own um, memories of james melby and what this award means to you obviously a very prestigious one for you to be receiving thanks yeah no it's the second melby i gotten the steve johnson and i shared one in iowa in 2008 and this one i look at as a recognition of slam wrestling because we've done so much through the years to keep history alive uh whether i sign somebody to go you know sit bedside with killer kowalski as he's you know leaving this earth or whether it's, you know, talking to some, you know, guy who really only had a five-year career. But it's, it's an awesome honor. Jim Melby was a great guy. Uh, he knew so much about pro wrestling, and he had so many connections and so many photos. Uh, I dealt with him many times. Uh, he wrote for Slam Wrestling on occasion. In fact, uh, he was covering the Waterloo, Iowa inductions when they introduced the Melby Award and didn't tell him about it. <laughs> so here he is writing for me about getting an award. Uh, quite a magic moment. Uh, I got an email like a day or two just before he passed. Um, he'd sent me a uh, a CD. He was a huge music guy too. I uh, just loved music. And so he sent me a CD he'd burned of a bunch of different uh, wrestlers singing, including Sweet Daddy Seeky and Frank Townsend and, and Jerry Lawler and Jim Valiant, like all these things that are really hard to find. Uh, he was a gem and it, it's great fun. Uh, the CAC is something everybody needs to go to at one point in their life. It's the fraternal organization of pro wrestling. And if you love pro wrestling, it, it's part of your duty to keep it alive. Uh, no one more deserving, uh, Greg, for this award uh, than yourself. I definitely encourage people to check out uh, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the Storytellers. Uh, is this the end of the series, Greg? Have you made a decision yet? Or will it be something that uh, you're open to the idea if the right, uh, the, the right topic comes your way for you and Steven? Yeah, I guess you never say never in pro wrestling, but I don't know what else there is left to mine. I mean, if we'd started this, you know, 20 years ago and talked to Homer Adele and some of these other managers, maybe you could have done it uh, with that. But it's just not feasible right now to do a lot of these guys. Uh, I really don't know. Uh, right now I'm working on John Arezzi's memoir. Uh, he was a pioneering uh, radio guy 
uh, in wrestling, and but he also moved into country music, so I'm learning a lot there. And like I said, you never say never in this business. So I may end up doing another uh, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame book. Well, we will. Uh, I encourage everyone to go check out uh, past ones on the tag teams, heroes and icons, the heels, the Canadians. Uh, you can you can do no wrong checking out uh, the great work of uh, Stephen Johnson and Greg Oliver. And Greg, thanks so much for taking some time. We'll definitely have to do this again soon, and uh, maybe even get you here in studio. I know you. It takes a lot to get you out of your house, but uh, the, the invite is always here. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. All right. Have a good one. Thank you, Greg. Bye. Greg Oliver, everybody, of Slam Wrestling. And I definitely recommend the book. Uh, I, I finished that. Greg was out at O'Grady's with us back in August. Yes, he was. I yeah. picked up the book. So I think he told me that's the first time he had come to watch Raw and watched Raw in years. <laughs> so uh, I don't think consuming three-hour Raws uh, every Monday night. But uh, do you remember the, the Hall of Fame ceremony where we, got to, we were seated with Greg in oh, Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, was that was the year Brett. that Brett went in, Vergania went in. Yep. Quite, quite the class that they mm-hmm. had that year. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we got to see, uh, we got uh, Greg's stories as we were taking in the speeches and watching uh, Refrigerator Perry up there on stage. What better director's commentary? That, that was it. Oliver. Yeah, that was it. Um, for the duration of the show, we are going to get to ratings and we are going to get back to phone calls as well. So mm-hmm. if you want to uh, call in, uh, the phone lines are open. one seven three two eight hundred forty four twenty three, or you could search us on Skype post-wrestling. What was your match of the night on NXT? Oh, uh, I think I really enjoyed uh, the main event. The six-man uh, was, was, was really strong. Fantastic. Um, I I really enjoyed Cassius Ono uh, against Matt Riddle, and I thought uh, Moro was also back. Um, there's actually video of him coming out and getting a standing ovation there at yes. Full Sail. Um, I I thought you know he was it was just a, a seamless return this week. They did not bring up anything, just went right into the call. But I thought Moro calling Cassius Ono and just the references he can work in there. Really worked well. I mean, I thought Nigel was very important for for that particular match as well. Um, but I, he his voice was sorely missed, and I think it just adds such a such a great quality to that entire team and that this the the polish I feel of the entire product overall. Uh, I also really enjoyed. I mean, I I really have to give props. I think to Zia Lee, who uh, to me seemed to cut the most substantial English promo she had to do to date, and right. I thought she really did well. Yeah, she did fantastic, and I thought the the match was a great showcase of her abilities up until this point. Still far from perhaps you know uh, main event like she, even, she's even very new, picture. but I I see a lot of potential in in her that yes. two years from now, yeah. like she should be a long term project, and yep. is you know shouldn't be on the main roster should not be thrown above where like she's in the shallow end getting of the pool. A, getting in net on usa was a huge step for her and i think this was probably the biggest match of her career and i thought she did really well say uh Kushida as well i really have to commend them for that video package oh, like 60 seconds yeah like oh, that's great this is again part of the what what i really feel AEW could benefit from so much and i feel like this was almost a direct challenge to say hey we have a brand new japanese uh a star who doesn't speak that much english himself and yet we're able to tell this very fascinating you know relatable story with them um and and i think AEW has shown that they could do that with riho as well but they just haven't for whatever reason but you it's not like you need a great investment of time 60 seconds you know i know because I know what Kushida's fighting for. He's got a little adorable little girl. You know, that's all you need. Yes. That's all I asked for. I like the the story of he broke his wrist and at the end just does the, oh, the point. Yes. He's like, I'm back. Perfect. Back to the phone lines. Caller, you're in the cafe. What's going on? 
Hello, hello. Can you hear us? Hey, how's it going? Can you guys hear me? Yes, we, we can. can. What's going on? Hey, this is Varush from Phoenix. H- how do I say your name? Varush. 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 Yeah, What's but going on? Varush is fine. A lot, of, a lot of people say Varush. That's yeah, we, we'll we've, say, uh, we've been uh, playing the butcher of Butcher and the Blade fame when it comes to your name on the feedback, so I yes. apologize. Oh, no, no, no worries. Um, um, I want to, uh, well, one, I want to let you guys know that uh, this is a really busy time uh, of year for me. I'm a FedEx driver, and you guys really oh. help me get through the day and everything. Oh, I can imagine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, but, um, so, no, thank you. What, you what, what, awesome. is, what, are, what are the couple days leading into Christmas like? Is it just utter insanity? Is that just, uh, that, that's got to be the highest volume days of the entire year. Oh, no, actually, today and tomorrow um, are, are actually the worst because of Cyber Monday. Wow. Wow. So you get more now than you do right up until, for all the people like me who <laughs> saved their shopping till the last two days. I guess at that point, it's like, who's ordering online with days to spare? But yeah. anyway, very interesting. You also have like the holiday, I guess, backing things up. I don't know if that pertains to you, but what's on your mind, uh, Varush? Um, no, um, well... So I was thinking about uh, AEW and their, uh, well, the women's division and how they've been struggling to kind of establish it. And on a, what was it, that conference call or whatever Cody did before full gear, it was brought up that they were going to be possibly bringing on a mid-card title. I know he didn't want to call it that. Right. But but with them kind of struggling with the women's division, do you guys think it's even the right time to even try and establish a whole new division or – or I mean, it seems like they're already struggling as it is with past the main event and tag team scenes. Those are great, but it seems like they're struggling past that a little bit. What do you guys think? Yeah, I I don't think now is the time. Uh, the best idea I heard was that being the title for Cody to establish and make it your you know one A one B with the AEW title. At the moment, Cody is kind of he's good. He's got his programs lined up. I don't know if you necessarily need to introduce a title now. The the devil's advocate to my argument is that doing some kind of tournament and a focus gets a lot of guys involved and all have a central direction of establishing this title that at least gives you can put a match out there. And that's the story. Everyone's in this tournament for the title. Um, But what do you think about timing wise? I think now is not the time. I think, you know, maybe six months down the line when when you firmly establish a world champion and when you get your tag team division and just did that tag tournament as well, especially your women's division kind of up in order. I I definitely think there's a great deal of promise in a mid card title because you have a great mid card of, you know, for the male roster, at least in AEW, Uh, a lot of guys like on the level of a Darby Allen, Jimmy Havoc that I think could really benefit. And I, you know, the Cody idea is is what I want to see. I think it makes perfect sense for the guy who can't get the world title to give his legitimacy to the mid-card title to make that seem just as valuable. But that, I, you know, pro- the problem, I think, isn't so much with whether or not they have too many belts, but whether or not they have, like, the people in the division that are worthy of, you know, the attention that a belt provides. And the the male's mid-card division, I would say, actually does. I, I can't say the same for the women right now though what about to differentiate instead of the traditional championship belt they're all fighting for uh cody's shoes his car his watch and 50 grand well that's a lot to carry it is your i guess you have the car you can put everything your your carry-on is going to be maxed out but you're the champion you possess all of this a championship watch that's interesting the championship watch yeah okay yeah hmm 
Time's ticking. Back to the phone lines. Caller, what's on your mind? Good, good afternoon, guys. Oh, he made it. I was I was scared. I was like, it's, hey, it's 357. You know, we just had a call from a FedEx driver. Is, is this like, you know, a bit of brand warfare right now? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I think my truck's bigger than his. So, uh, you know what? You, you should, maybe you should get a TNT to cut a commercial for you. Yeah, that'd be so dead. We could have a drag race. Hey, yeah, hey, race. the biggest question, <laughs> Way uh, or Brandon, have any of you been following hashtag Britt Baker challenge today? Oh, yes. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. There's been yes. some good ones. Brandon, I think this contest is tailor made for you to hide your face <laughs> as you post a photo. Oh, my God. Uh, hey, don't, don't tell me, brother. So. Some people got really hey, ups- uh, upset about this uh, this prank by AEW. I, I thought it was very funny. Apparently, what we missed during the break, um, it was Excalibur saying, that's Adam Cole's girlfriend, mm. which I, I would have like left it just for everyone, just the visual, the sight gag. I don't think Excalibur needed the line in there, but nonetheless, I thought it was very funny. I thought it was, I thought it was funny as well. Brandon, uh, who's going to be the undisputed UFC WWE champion after Saturday night? Oh, um, what, what card is this? I, 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 there's like so much stuff going on. My this head. is uh, the, the Combate card, Alberto and Tito. Oh, dude. I mean, Tito, come on. I hope Alberto's wearing the mask, though. Uh, well, maybe the two out of three falls match. He could be Alberto, and then he could be Dos Caras if you lose, uh, in the rubber match. Well, if, if, it, if, if Alberto gets out of the first round, it could be uh, three stages of hell match uh, between each round. <laughs> Um, this is not going to be a pretty fight. I think it's going to be a very quick fight. I just this is this is the epitome of a free television card that this should be. I, I think this would actually have like a modicum of interest if it was on television. But for forty bucks on pay per view, good luck. This is going to like Chuck and Tito last year did twenty five thousand buys. I don't think this thing is going to crack ten. It's going to die a horrible death. Um, who's the president of, of Combate uh, uh, Americans? Campbell uh, McLaren. Did you see the list? Of, did you see his top uh, uh, fighters list of all time and who he had at number one? <laughs> I, I know that he had Tito ranked above John Jones. <laughs> what, is, is that not? I, I looked at this. You can't take Campbell. Campbell McLaren is a promoter through and through, okay? He is there for everyone else's enjoyment. But uh, do, do you have the list handy or, or no? I don't have it on me, but I know he had, uh, he had Tito above. Uh, not only John Jones, but he had him above uh, Daniel Cormier. Which this was I, like, <laughs> wasn't the list like top 10 current fighters as well? Like, this is now. This is not even like all time. Yeah, it, it, was, it was absolutely. I know that you're trying to get the fight over, Tito and, 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 and Del Rio, but I mean. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Campbell McLaren's top 10 pound for pound list. Okay. <laughs> Number 10. Okay. This is in 2019. Number 10 is Andre Arlovsky. Number nine, Chael Sonnen. I guess pound for pound, Ariel Hawani co-host. Number eight, Anderson Silva. Number seven, Fabricio Verdum. Six is Yoel Romero. Five, Damian Maya. Four is Uriah Faber. Number three, this is shocking. Number three, above Faber, above Damian goddamn Maya. Number three is Alberto Del Rio, who, who last fought everyone in 2010, 2009. Number two, Daniel Cormier, and number one is Tito Ortiz, of course, the pound-for-pound champion. This guy is the best, Campbell McLaren. 
He did the Yama pit fight, right? He was behind Yama pit fighting, a pay-per-view that I bought in 2008. I was there at the show. You went to Yama? Oh, absolutely. And you I picked saw, Heroes of Wrestling for your review? Oh, Dude, no, I could I, mean, I could dig up the VHS of Yama somewhere. I think I still say next, I tape that. The next the next time I pick again, uh, we, we we shall uh, go down that rabbit hole. Okay, Wei, Wei has not seen the Yama pit fighting surface, but I just don't know how, if I want to put our audience through that. Oh, it's <laughs> I think it's something everything. I, I think you I think you get even way more hate than you did for your pick of uh, Heroes of Wrestling. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> Okay. I have I have a couple questions real quick. I'll get out of here. Um, I I, I was digging the uh, the butcher and, and the blade and the bunny. I can't wait till their full uh, their full uh, group is assembled. The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. What, what do you think about that? Listen, it was what? way better when I used it. What's your next question? <laughs> and my next question is uh, with so many emo factions in AEW, you think uh, Big Tone should commission uh, Morrissey to? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to write some theme music for them, and uh, what do you think? What, what do you think of them uh, teaming up with Hot Topic? I mean, it feels like it's uh, 1997 all over again with the Evo facts. Maybe so Papa Roach is going to do a theme for them, unless they're WWE exclusive. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, that's all I got. Okay. I'm out of here. Please. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Never change. <laughs> Uh, you know, I I was actually surprised. I thought, like, you know, obviously we talked about maybe yeah, yesterday just how much overlap there there was between the three factions. And I thought it would be more of a criticism that we would just have ourselves on our show, but it seems like it was pretty widespread. No, the Dark Blade Collective has been Ooh. universally, yeah. um, I think, there has been universal pushback for. Okay, let's go back to the phone lines. Caller, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, how's it going, guys? It's John Cena from New York. John Cena. John Cena hey. Evil. How hey. are you? I understand you uh, dropped, dropped your kid off today at post-road school. Yeah, isn't that funny? We live right across the, from the school, and it's called Post Road School. I actually oh, went there when I was a youngin' as well, so it's kind of cool that he's going there. Well, we named it after the school, just yeah. for you, John, so now you know two years I later. I hope they're not listening. They might give us a cease and desist. No, no, <laughs> I hope not. Uh, I've actually got a rare Thursday off because I'm heading down to the uh, MLW show in Melrose Ballroom. Okay. The Cup. It's a pretty, uh, pretty strong lineup. I don't know if you guys have seen it the Cardinal. No, it's, it looks like a very good card. Unfortunate about Ot- Otani because that would have been, to me, the big uh, person that I would love to see live. Um, so he's out. Loki is in. But what they're doing is it's a one-night tournament uh, along with Tom Waller versus Avon Eric. So we'll see. Maybe that's going to be uh, – it could be Ross Marshall or maybe it'll be Lacey Von Eric. Maybe that's going to be the swerve. Could be. Uh, I have a quick question. So how exactly does the MLW deals work for guys like MJF? And uh, Jimmy Havoc, because them appearing on US TV as well as MLW. So they they've worked out deals with with AEW, and it would seem that they when MLW has dates that they're it, that they will take priority, but they're allowed to go do AEW, and that's not going to conflict too often. But yeah, in in this case, you know, if they're needed the day before um, tapings. Um, for instance, like Jimmy Havoc, he was there at AEW last night. MJF was not. So, and uh, Havoc, I guess he is on tonight's card because he's taking on uh, Mance Warner. So, uh, I guess he wasn't needed there last night. All right, cool. Thanks for the insight. I'll check me on the front row wearing the post wrestling shirt. Perfect. Oh, well, right um, we Thank hope to hear John. from you, John. Enjoy the show tonight. Should be a fun one. Yes, they are doing the uh, the Opera Cup. Uh, so, th- so that is going down as the uh, the year comes to a close for. 
all of these uh, different companies. Uh, we've also got a uh, few news notes. Uh, Roman Reigns, Dolph Ziggler has been added to SmackDown on Friday night. Okay. Stop the presses. Yeah. I can't well, wait. They need something. Yeah. Uh, AEW Dark, the matches that they did do, uh, we mentioned Jimmy Havoc did a three-way with Scorpio Sky and Peter Avalon. Marco Stunt and Luchasaurus versus Alex Reynolds and John Silver. And then Kenny Omega versus Kip Sabian was in the uh, the main event. Kenny Omega again on, on Dark. Oh, or, or not. He was, yeah. He's, Kenny he's Omega. going to be featured on Dark. Oh, yes. Got it. Yep. Okay. He will be on Dark again. I mean, again, at this point, you figure that they would announce these matches on the on the broadcast? Because otherwise, I would have, really have no idea. That you wouldn't know would just place. watching the TV. No. It's, um, but social media way. Oh, whatever. Uh, okay. We got a Neil on the phone lines. What's going on, Neil? Hello. Good. No, not much, guys. How are you? Hey, very well. Prime time here in Ireland for you. Indeed. Way great job on that time lapse clip for the, um, the foily t-shirt design. Thank you. It's really Thank cool you. that you posted on Instagram and on, on Twitter. John, you're a very good sport. Yes, he is. Do, John, what was the creative concept behind that photograph that Way was working from? Okay, I can explain this. So when we started post-wrestling, we were um, doing a lot of uh, press photos with my friend Mike. And this was just so that we could have for things like our Patreon, our thumbnail, uh, our mm-hmm. uh, podcasts. Like when you go on iTunes, you see our logo, basically. Like yeah. I just basically need photos. Like we had a whole collection of photos when we were working at Fight Network. And obviously we couldn't use those anymore. So I needed a bunch of original ones. And this was just a photo shoot where we like just had a i don't know we were just standing in front of like um uh just a backdrop and just trying to come up with any sort of expression or ideas that we we could think of and we probably had like a thousand photos just you know with mike just hitting the shutter at every single time and i just directed john to give me a number of expressions one of them was one of disgust and i think the co- <laughs> the coffee thing was like because at, by that point we had known that we wanted to call the patreon the post wrestling cafe so it was like him holding a cup of coffee and so I, when I needed something with him holding a bottle of 40, that's the photo that I took. More specifically, his, yeah. his arm that I photoshopped into holding a, 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 a bottle of 40. Yeah. Well, perhaps one of the Patreon tiers could get sight of all these unused photographs. It sounds cool. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, I, have, I do have a question, uh, which is about a particular wrestler. Um, I'd love to hear both your opinions on. Prompted by a tweet from Will Osprey this past week saying he wished he'd got his match with Kyle O'Reilly. Um, Kyle O'Reilly, I think, I mean, he's not underrated. Most hardcore fans see him, you know, as a really good talent. That guy does not I, get the praise as yes. one of the top guys in the world, in my opinion. Thank you, John. That's what I was looking for, really. it's. I mean, he's not underrated as such, but I see him as an elite talent mm-hmm. who could hold his own with anyone. Uh, and it's not an opinion I hear echoed very often. I mean, he's one of the most convincing strikers I've, I, I, I see beyond some of the Jap- Japanese guys who actually really lay into each other. He sells amazingly, he's technically superb, he grapples really well. He does all of the little things brilliantly, the facial expressions. He'll throw in a comedy spot, some silly pratfall, hitting himself with a chair. He's terrific. And there's no criticism of Bobby Fish, who's also awesome. But um, I'd love to see what he could do as a singles competitor. Although I'm skeptical of how he'd be booked on Raw or SmackDown. But that goes for everyone, pretty much, these days. Um, so, yeah, what do you guys think of of, um, of Kyle O'Reilly? And I'll, I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, thank, thanks thank as you, always. Neil. Thank you, Neil. I, I completely agree with Neil. Um, he's one of my favorites to watch. And... 
I think he's in a great role right now, being a part of Undisputed Era, because certainly if he was a single star, you know, given like definitely his smaller stature, like I, I, I don't know if we'd see him on 205 Live. I certainly wouldn't see him. I think we would see him in like a prominent position on the main He'd roster. He'd be like an Oni Lorcan, I think. Yeah. He'd be which, stuck in there. So and as I, yeah. Also, as part of a tag team, I think he's in a perfect position. Um, I, I, you know, it's interesting to think about what his ceiling might be in something like NXT. I think maybe, you know, the personality still has to come out on a, on a grander scale to, to, for him to like, you know, be a, a, a leader on the level of somebody like an Adam Cole. Um, but in ring, like he is, I think one of the best. I think he's really showcased a lot. Like he doesn't get a lot of speaking roles. So in lieu of that, like he does like the the you know playing the the belt like the guitar mm-hmm. and he gets like those witty one liners that Braden and Davey always love. Yes, I mean he gets a lot of personality in there that you know was not something that you always associated with Kyle O'Reilly. Yep. I think he is a perfect example of someone that really benefits playing off of that group as opposed to had he just been thrown out on his own. Yes. But I I could see like I don't see any reason he couldn't thrive in a, in a singles run at some point but i would be very cautious if he got thrown onto raw or smackdown because i just feel he is someone that is tailor-made for nxt and just wouldn't be understood on raw or smackdown and mm-hmm. uh, might work against him but i i think the world of the guy in terms of one of you know the top guys that uh wwe has on any brand we await the, the ratings, and a, a number of people actually in the chat room are already reporting that they yes they we've have got them. we've got the numbers. I don't have the breakdown yet, but okay. AEW uh, we only have total viewers right now eight hundred and fifty one thousand viewers for AEW eight forty five for NXT, so a difference of six thousand viewers. Uh, AEW um, edging them out in total viewership, and momentarily we should have um, all of the uh, the breakdowns as well. But um, so um, very close. AEW way up in total viewers. NXT up from last week. Um, not a gigantic uh, increase, but um, you know AEW. The you know last week's number of uh, what was it six ninety three or so. So they rebounded significantly in viewership this week. Yes, yes. And what does this say about last week's ratings to you? I mean, last week it was it was definitely hit. Um, I would I would say that six sixty three is what they were at last week. So. I would say a pretty healthy uh, increase, but again, I I think certainly you have to look at last week's number of why it was down to that degree where NXT was not, and I can't just wrap that up as, well, the younger viewers were not watching on Thanksgiving Eve. I don't think that explains enough of it, but I would say this kind of quells those concerns somewhat, the fact that they were up to such a... Yeah, you know, almost 200,000 viewers here. Uh, I'm seeing uh, reports on Twitter uh, of people reporting that the breakdown of uh, Prime Demos, AEW.3 to NXT.29. So very close. Sorry, repeat that again. .32 for AEW and .29 for A- uh, NXT. So AEW would have squeezed past them. Just by point. So still, it's very close. It's very close. So, I mean, I think this is a very good sign for NXT and I'm sure they're, they're very happy with everything that, that has come out of Survivor Series weekend. This is a week where, you know, you don't really have sort of the obstruction of like, uh, Thanksgiving or anything. You're simply left with what, what are people interested in? And it very, very much appears to be that people are equally interested in both with, I think, great upward trajectory for NXT right now. Yeah. I, 
I think it's good that NXT is kind of stabilizing that as much as AEW's viewership was up, they were up slightly as well. Um, but you would figure both should have been up after Thanksgiving last week. But um, I would say this is a positive for AEW that had they done something, I would say mm-hmm. if they didn't hit 800, I think there would be a lot more concern than uh, what they did this week um, in terms of uh, not having a big enough rebound. Yeah. Back to the phone lines now, caller. Your thoughts. Yo, what's going on, guys? Hey, Hansi. Hey, how are you? Uh, no, uh, I was just sorry for calling in late. I, I, I got in kind of late, so I just caught up and all that. But I was just wondering, um, well, well, two things. For, well, one, um, do you guys see that, um, like, you, you guys were talking on your AW review last night that, like, they're doing too much and, like, you know, they're like, developing too much and there's not enough time. Do you guys foresee that maybe TNT will give AW Dark uh, like a slot, like on like a on like a uh, Friday night or like a Saturday night, where like maybe it could become like their Sunday night heat. And the other question, and I'll, I'll get off quickly. Uh, where do you guys see John Morrison going? Um, like to me, I, I mean, I know people want to see him on NXT. Um, maybe I'm just a sucker for nostalgia a bit, but I wouldn't mind seeing him with uh, Miz again because Miz is not really doing anything. And I know it's not not really the best solution like oh just throw everyone in a tag team and all that but i mean i i, I kind of missed miz and morrison so i don't know what you guys felt and i'll i'll leave you guys with that um sorry for joining late but you guys do good work don't be sorry at all thank yeah. you hansi for calling in appreciate it um john morrison i think you know if i feel i feel like any talent out there must want at least to get a bit of a start in, I think, the far better creative environment of an NXT. Um, perhaps with the ultimate goal, though, of going up to the main roster. And, I mean, are they go- still going to follow that sort of path and formula now that NXT is sort of its own thing and there's, you know, less transition from one brand to another? I'm not sure. Um, I I think to freshen John Morrison up, I would personally like to see him in NXT because I can't imagine we're going to see that too much of a drastic version of him if he just all of a sudden pops up on Raw or SmackDown. And I can't see him being placed into like an upper main event level right away amongst that group of of, of people. I, I really just see him as like, you know, a Lashley level type of like mid-carder. Whereas I think in NXT, he would be a main eventer. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not crazy about the idea of him in NXT in that I just don't know if... Like, they've got, like, a really good kind of main event pack at the moment. Um, does he really add a whole lot to to that division at this point? I mean, he's a bit of a, he's a, bit of a puzzling signing at, the, at this time in his career. He was someone WWE never fully went with years ago. Um, is that different now? Do they perceive him any, any different? And what's he also looking to do? Like, at his age now, he does have outside projects. Is he looking to come in and be on Raw or SmackDown and have that kind of full schedule at, at his age now or coming back for a limited schedule. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see what they do with him, but it um, remains to be seen how he acclimates himself. On AEW Dark, I do not see TNT adding that show. If anything, I could imagine that they could put it up on like BR Live or something, take it in-house um on their digital platform as opposed to just being on YouTube now. But I think the idea on YouTube is that what you're sacrificing in terms of uh, 
you know, the value of it by not having it in-house is that more people are going to see it and hopefully uh, create a bit of a following for it. But, I mean, AEW Dark does not feel like uh, must-see programming every week for wrestling fans. And I think that that's the case of a lot of the Tuesday night programs at the moment. It doesn't feel must-see because I don't think they talk about it enough. Um, you know, if we're talking about somebody like me who watches almost everything, not really being aware of, I think, what was going on last week on AEW Dark, to me, that's a pretty bad bad sign. I, I mean, I can only explain it if if their intent is to use Dark as an, a place where they want to have people do stuff and have wrestling matches without being noticed. I don't know. But they do great video packages on that thing. I have no idea why they don't talk about it more. Back to the phone lines. We've got a Daniel Perry. Thoughts? On, on everything? Everything. <laughs> Life. Matt stage well, well, and retiring. The, the thing I was actually going to call, obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to come from... You, you, you have a very muffled phone line there, Daniel. Um, not, not sure. Um, are, you, are you covering the speaker? No, it's uh, still... Anything? You know, if you don't mind, just like maybe getting your, your quick question in there. Uh, sure. Uh, that, uh, uh, no, it basically was just about um, WWE's kind of film output and really kind of what they're looking to do um, you know, next year with Paramount, uh, with obviously doing a big theatrical release. I'm really kind of what they're looking to see. Uh, I mean, I haven't really heard a huge amount about the WWE Studios project. So um, I was just wondering if there's any, any more news on, on that from, that you guys have heard. Thanks, Daniel. Um, nothing significant. I know that they have that, that film coming out that they um, did with uh, The Miz involved and Becky Lynch. But a lot of it, it's just... With The Marine? Uh, it's not a marine movie. I thought it was like something, uh, another film that they've done. I mean, they they got the big show Netflix thing. Yep, that's right. Um, they're looking at that. They've you know they've talked about the idea of doing more projects like they did with the the Andre Doc. Um, maybe getting to that, and then it's partnering with other studios for, um, you know, they're not going for their solo their in house budget to put out theatrical releases. They've clearly gotten away from that. And I think they're looking to kind of mitigate risk when it comes to big projects for WWE Studios, which has not been, you know, in the history of WWE Studios, like this has not been a uh, a solid home run sector of the business for. I the feel company. like it's been how long has it been? Like thir- 13, 12, 15 years. The Kane movie was two thousand six. Wow, that was okay. the first one. Yeah, um, I don't know. It must be worthwhile for them to keep it around for, on some level. Let's go to Jake. Jake, what's going on? Hey, gentlemen, good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you. What's up? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, so first of all, uh, before I get to my wrestling question, uh, wait, did you get a chance to see uh, the latest uh, Black Widow trailer? Uh, what I you did. So uh, you know, it looks really interesting. It's it's definitely more of a small scale movie coming off of like you know Infinity War and, and Endgame. So I definitely look forward to see how they explain her backstory, which is definitely shrouded in a great deal of mystery. Um, but I'm really interested in seeing how like they they play with the time time period as mm-hmm. well because i think parts of it are, will take place before everything but then um this is supposed to be firmly situated between civil war and infinity war so i'm kind of curious to see how they link everything up and also doing it in a way that feels like it's a good send-off for uh scarlett johansson yep yeah a great send-off uh yeah for scarlett so i'm looking forward to it uh taking what's after civil war so uh just uh, um actually i just want to um talk about new japan pro wrestling if you don't mind yes please yeah. So, uh, yeah, Wrestle Kingdom is just a month away. I'm just very excited about it. Um, uh, maybe a couple questions here. Um, you know, one of my favorite angles of the year 
uh, in, of, uh, for the entire uh, for uh, wrestling this year uh, was definitely when Kenta turned heel and joined the Bullet Club and uh, attacked uh, uh, Shibata. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, are you guys hearing if there's going to be any sort of um, follow up to that? Uh, do you know what Shibata's condition is like? Uh, do you think are we ever going to see that? Maybe at maybe at Wrestle Kingdom or maybe. Like down the road, do you guys think? I, I don't see it happening, at least not at Wrestle Kingdom. I think it's been pretty clear from the booking of the World Tag League that it looks to be Kenta and Goto, and I would imagine Shibata's in his corner, and I think that would be the extent of it. Oh, okay. All right. I appreciate it. And also, uh, John, I, I, I actually just listened uh, yesterday to your latest post-pure wrestling with uh, WH Park, and uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. So both of you uh, do a lot of great job on this. And um, a question regarding the... The, the new American spinoff company, uh, are, are you hearing an update on when that thing is going to roll out? And I, I, I'm, I'm just a little cons- little curious of if that's going to be even going to be a feasible um, experiment uh, for Bushiroad and, and New Japan, uh, considering like what kind of venues they're going to put in uh, for the American spinoff company. Yeah, I, I don't know when they're going to um, start their tours in, in 2020. They've stated that it's not going to be at the expense of New Japan shows. They're going to still run the same number of shows in Japan, and this is going to be in between uh, tours. So it's going to be um, you know just just more tours, and they're looking at you know 1,500 to 2,000 seat buildings. They are not looking to come in and run uh, major arenas uh, with these. It's the idea is to get more people to sample the product. Uh, I'm skeptical if this is ultimately going to work and i i don't necessarily seeing it being uh of interest to people that are not already following new japan i think if you're trying to attract new fans i would be looking at um increasing your television presence beyond access tv i think that would be more of an inroads in the u.s rather than just uh live events in small venues that unless they're loaded up shows i i don't think you can have too high of an expectation in terms of what they're going to be they're going to be new japan house shows and i'm wondering if like if some of the biggest stars like okada and tanahashi will even make any special appearances like i i sure at least hope so so uh yeah just uh, regarding about that so uh yeah so uh, that's a couple of questions and hope you guys have a great holiday and hope you guys have a great trip to japan so, and i uh, really enjoy the uh, patreon content every week so thank thanks, you guys. as always jake we thanks, really jake. appreciate the call thank you uh yeah no i think you do I think all of those tours have to have one guy on it, but I don't necessarily think you're going to be seeing all of them. Like, I don't think you're going to see shows that have Okada, Tanahashi, Naito. Like, I think you'll get one of those, and Mm -hmm. it's not going to be every single one. No, no. Though, at the same time, they need, you know, something... They need a hook for every single one, and and certainly, you know, that that would be a role for the U.S. champion. But I I do also wonder somebody like a Will Ospreay, you know, some of your non-native Japanese guys, but, uh, you know, are living in Japan, how often... uh, like, could he be a mainstay? I think at some on some level, you need a big. You enough can headline mainstay. with Will Osprey, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, that's... Kota Ibushi, like they do have enough you know, enough people to like get people to come back for every single. Of the show. main guys, you get you can like circle them in and out, but I, I would not want to be sending all of those guys on a plane in between a tour to go do three shows here in front of fifteen hundred people a night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and you know, do you see this these shows really getting a much traction at all as a draw for? world or are they just house shows no i I think that they're almost the wwe's version of starcade like that's how i'm going to view these that are they essential viewing no i think most people are going to listen after the fact and if they're they get a match recommendation they'll go check that out but unless it's like a big show that they promote um i i I just don't know how many people are going to carve 
more time into their schedules because every weekend is going to be crazy. Everyone mm-hmm. is going to be nuts and it's going to be what is my priority because I can't watch everything. And if this is just the equivalent of a, of a nice Cork and Hall show, then I, I don't know how much people are going to put stock into it. Um, that is going to, uh, I guess, wind things down on the show. Uh, for the ratings breakdown, uh, stay tuned on the on the site as we will have all that. Oh, they just uh, went up here. So just let's, posted it? Let's take a quick look here. So AEW, as Way mentioned, uh, they won in the key demo among 18 to 49s, 0.32 to 0.29. And then in comparing the rest here, um, it was NXT actually winning among people 18 to 34 by... Uh, a margin of 0.01. So that was the uh, the margin of difference between those two. They also won among females 12 to 34 by the same margin. Um, people 25 to or 12 to 34 was AEW. Uh, people 25 to 54 was AEW. And of course, 40 plus was, or 50 plus was NXT. So NXT won three of the demos. So that is um, two more than usual for NXT. Wow. So very impressive. You can take some some small victories here if you're NXT, but AEW, you know, still winning the night, but in overall viewership, extremely close. And among people 18 to 49, um, close as well. 0.32 to 0.29. So it's it's still relatively close. And that over 50 audience is a big factor for NXT as well. Yeah, very good. Very so cool. there you have it. That was uh Wednesday night's numbers. Um anything surprising to you? Um, no, not so much. Do you see, uh, do you see two weeks out, um, that December 18th being, uh, you know, th- this far out, I would say, what do you weigh more Two NXT title matches or Chris Jericho wrestling on TV as the more, uh, against jungle boy. I, I think NXT has a better looking show right now at the moment. I think the women's match is the biggest match of the three. Sure. Yeah. I, I think mean, people can viably see a title change happening and yep. Shayna's loss being something significant that they've been building up to for so long and i don't think it's the worst timing to put the title on rhea ripley and that will also be their last uh, live shows for the year um, nxt is not doing original shows for two weeks over the holidays i don't know if they'll be putting stuff on usa in that time but aew's just taking the one christmas day off and then they're back uh new year's day with the uh the jacksonville show at daily's place so uh, a bit of a break over the holidays yeah, I will not be complaining about that. Yeah, yeah, I'll be happy to see that. Um, are you ready? A month from now, Wei, we'll be in Japan. I'm ready, yeah, less than a month. We will be ready for our second Tokyo Dome show. Ooh, in wow. As many nights. It's only a month away, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it, definitely. Get ready. Is your passport up to date? Yes, it is. I better check. Yeah. That'd be should. a problem. All right. I want to thank Greg Oliver for joining us and all of the calls. Thank you so much, guys. Always great questions. Uh, we appreciate all of the calls this week. Way and I are going to be back Friday night with Rewind to SmackDown. If you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, it's the beginning of the month, so it is the best time to sign up so that you can enjoy all of the content this month and uh, catch up on the entire archive uh, that you can go back to. We just put up a new Rewind Away this past Tuesday. Royal Rumble 2000. Way, no! It's a really fun show to go back and talk about. Yes. Uh, so, fun show from the, the year 2000 that is up there we'll have Rewind to Smackdown up on Friday night and then a bonus show Sunday night Way and I will review the final night of New Japan's World Tag League so if you want a whole uh, recap of that final show uh, we will have that up Sunday night for patrons uh, go download up next as well I want to make mention as well next week the British Wrestling Experience are going to be dropping a show with a mystery guest Ooh. 
could it be the question mark? Could it be um, Dean Douglas putting a question mark on a chalkboard? Um, who could this mystery guest be? Could be any number of things, but I think it'll be a pretty pretty good one. They're keeping Wayne and I in the dark, so mm-hmm. we, we can't we can't share. So uh, check all of that great stuff out, postwrestling.com and postwrestlingcafe.com. That is it. We are done hanging out. <laughs> <laughs>